Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Dr. Michael Rapici, how are you doing this morning? Dr. Barry Falk, I'm doing really well today. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I wonder if our uh, if our listeners can tell the difference between the nighttime episodes and the morning episodes. No, I, I think it's really caffeinated today. Well, I feel I think there's also a difference between the semesters almost over episodes and the. Can they tell that difference? Can I can. Be the I yeah. can. So, anyways, good morning. How are you? You're well. I'm doing very. As you can tell already, I'm excited to be here and excited right out of the box. To That's talk about full of beans out of the box today. Yes. Well, um, this is exciting. Uh, today we are starting an arbitrary season three of, of the podcast um, where we're going to really start turning our focus in the upcoming episodes to sort of the human aspect of uh, critical media studies and start looking at questions of friendship, companionship, connection, alienation, loneliness. Uh, so it's a new chapter with a more human focus. Uh, and we're getting ready to start with um, Ishiguro, Kazuo Ishiguro's uh, novel, Clara and the Sun. And uh, so, Barry, I'm going to turn it over to you in terms of uh, first thoughts and synopsis, and then we'll we'll jump into the deed then. Michael, is it okay? I want to, you know, I don't want to slow us down, but I, w- I was wondering if I could ask you a question about your introduction here and about okay. your introductory part. Uh, that's it. Let's, um, let's go. You said that we're focusing... Uh, we should explain to listeners what we mean by arbitrary. Our reason, uh, arbitrary season, number one. Yeah, that's fair. Arbitrary, not in the sense that we just decided to do this, but that in podcast <laughs> land where we, you know, no, we I, okay, so I, that's to, that's yeah. maybe uh, I, I that was podcast language, and I just wanted to unpack. No, it. that's fair. Yes, yeah. I apologize. Um, no, meaning really that we, I, I think the entire idea of sort of seasonal. Uh, demarcations is kind of silly is, is because never really sat down and figured out what exactly a season means. So um, we have decided but we do have to have a sh- theme, but what you're saying is that we do have a theme that we're going to explore in different modalities for the next couple of episodes. Yeah. And we're going to do something. Uh, maybe now I'll, I'll pick up and directly answer your question. So we're going to, address certain themes uh and and we're going to do something a little bit different from us which is also what you signaled that we we tend to and and i wanted to ask your opinion about this i i especially feel this way i guess because of uh uh, or rather this is probably on both of our minds because we just finished a two two episode discussion of marshall McLuhan's uh medium is the mass age and so i guess there was a lot of talking about technology, discussion of technology for technology's sake, right? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. you think that's, that's kind of fair? And that kind of is the, and would you agree with this? That's kind of been the critical media studies groove thing. I mean, mm-hmm. we probably do talk about technology and its relation to other technology. And we talk about the human interface, but, um, but uh, what we're going to talk about uh, more specifically, what we want to shine a, a focus on or a spotlight on is in this next couple of episodes. So there's going to be, despite the different modalities and texts, we we think there's a single focus. We're going to shine the spotlight on 
the ways in which technology inflects, affects, effects, can it effect? I don't know. Let's move on. Uh, human interactions and the ways in which emotional states or affective states seem to be constructed or enmesh with uh, technological developments, especially the development or invention of new technology. So that's going to be the theme. And then when we think about the human emotions, it's going to seem like, you know, we recovered existential, we recovered or we're returning to the existential moment because we're a lot, we're going to be thinking a lot about how individuals relate to other individuals in the mode of friendship, what kinds of relationships are enabled or disabled by technology. That's going to be the larger theme. And we're going to do something a little bit. So that's a little bit out of character for us because we rarely talk about the human side because of our, you know why, Michael? I mean, let's just say it because of our marked inhumanity and anti-humanity. We rarely talk about it, but we're going to try to change pace here. Yeah, I, I think just to, again, to sort of yeah, please, contextualize please. the thinking, you know, mm-hmm. for me, I I have an interest in Latour and network studies and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the driving idea behind something like actor network theory is that we remove human agency and we treat the human as simply a node in a network and what we're doing what we're going to try and do now is really take a look at the and and you would use the word you know the emotional state really look at the human actors in this you know human Mm -hmm. technological tapestry as humans and think about what is happening uh on the flip side of you know, of a, of a lens like McLuhan or a lens like Latour, mm-hmm. a lens like Law, to really try and inject sort of an emotional focus, mm-hmm. and that so that that's what that's what appeals to yeah. me about this is it's a it's a it's a pretty radical shift from one perspective, but at the same time we're staying in exactly the same place, just looking at it differently. I I thank you for that uh, for that nuance. I'll, I'll just add one more thing, and I'm I'm going to segue to our topic for today. Uh, Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, I would say that here, I'm going to make a prediction. Although we are shifting, as you just mentioned, in our focus to a discussion of human subjectivity, human emotion, human affect, I fear or I anticipate, I, I don't know, I don't fear, but I anticipate, I prophesy that we're that none of these episodes even though we're going to be focusing on the human in isolation or subject subjectivity human subjectivity in certain I think modes, that's it even though we're even though we're doing that here's my prediction we'll see how it goes my prediction is that we're going to find out it's not going to be very easy to recover a older traditional unencumbered notion of the human when you know even as we focus on it right it's not like all of a sudden we have discovered the human and we're going to recover it by talking about these things i think we're going to see that the human i don't know i won't say anymore but i i don't know if there's any there there is i suspect that's what we'll find but let's not get ahead of ourselves shall we uh let's stay at the matter let's stay on the matter at hand and today's um this is probably the first of two episodes on Kazuo Ishiguro's Nobel Prize winning 
winner, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro's novel, uh, most recent novel, Clara and the Sun. Um, and we're going to talk about literature, but we're mainly going to talk about literature uh, as illuminated by the kind of questions and concerns that animate us on this podcast, uh, which is, you know, basically the technological human interface. That said, in a novel that is narrated by artific an artificial intelligence. Uh, right. One of the things that Clara, the AF, uh, the artificial friend who is uh, purchased for Josie, more about the plot in a moment, and then we'll move on from the plot, but uh, one of the characteristic features of the AI that narrates this tale, Clara, one of her characteristic features is an, an intuitive, yeah, can I say that? I, I said intuitive, but can, can AI have intuitions? How about this? She has a programmed interest in understanding what she cannot see, what is unable for anyone to see, which is the mechanisms of the human heart and mind, right? So she's programmed to care about human affective states, about uh, she is profoundly concerned. In fact, her only, would you say this is right, Michael? Clara's abiding concern is whether her charge, the young teenager that's in her charge, Josie, her abiding concern, her soul concern, her over, her religious concern, I, I don't think I'm I'm going too far to call it a theological or religious concern, is to care for and therefore to understand the emotional underpinnings of her of the teenager in her charge. So that that's kind of I'm trying to describe the relationship. I'll tell I'll talk about the plot very briefly in a moment. I think that's a good way of starting the discussion. I think that I want to certainly come back to what Clara's we will you know her, yeah, her, her driving motivation is but that's a good that's fair we will and and right now we'll, I'll, I'll stay on the surface here I I can tell we're both eager to dig into the deeper issues here but staying on the surface that was a characterization of the relationship between I guess the key relationship arguably in the book the relationship between uh, a human being Josie and a robot, um, a child companion to uh, who is bought and sold, manufactured, <laughs> bought and sold in order to be a child companion. Um, and staying on the surface, one more just sort of, sort of general summary. I'm sure that in this episode and the next episode, we will, um, you know, more plot points are going to come up. But a a as I mentioned earlier, this isn't this isn't going to be book club as much as we're going to be using, we're going to try to use Ishiguro's novel um, as a sort of portal or way to frame some of the issues about the technological human interface that, that, that interests us, right? But anyway, plot summary, which I am going to uh, read from a wonderful, wonderfully insightful article by Yu Ching Sun uh, entitled, Post-human, post, slash, got to have the slash there, Michael. Got to have that slash. Post, slash, human, perfectibility in the technological other. 
in Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. We'll, we'll be talking about, I, I'm sure that uh, we'll be talking about this essay, more of its points in the next episode, but we're going to kind of stay on the surface of the ice here. But I, I wanted to read uh, Sun's uh, excellent plot summary. One bit of teaser, though, in, uh, that I have to digress upon very, very briefly. It's both the digression and a teaser. Post-human perfectibility. Michael, um, one of the great insights in Sun's article that I'm, I just want to flag it now that we want to return to is that uh, Sun relates the book and a lot of things, actually the history of AI, to a larger narrative about technology, about technology and in particular ideology. And I'll say very briefly what the ideology is. So Sun's point is that the best way to not just understand this novel, but just to understand AI is that you have to understand AI within this broader framework of a post-enlightenment project designed or devoted to human perfectibility mm -hmm. to the creation of so of a so-called master race which is another theme as sun points out of ishiguro's books but that gets us into the weeds we're not going to go there but that's a teaser for next week let me go to the plot summary clara and the sun ishiguro is affecting also from yu ching sun clara and the sun ishiguro's affecting story of child companionship between a human being josie and a robot clara is another of Ishiguro's reflections on the illusions of mastery. Here's the more, and, and that's getting into a philosophical point that we'll, we'll unpack a little bit more, uh, we'll return to in the, the next episode. But let me get to directly to a, a very helpful, I hope, to listeners who haven't read the book. Um, and of course, everyone's homework assignment is to Don't read, read the, book. the book. Go read the book immediately between these episodes. What else do you have to do, right? Okay, anyway, plot summary. Clara and the Sun chronicles the story of child companionship between a human being, Josie, and a robot, Clara. Created as an AF, I just taught this book, uh, uh, and I have to say, we did get a lot of chuckles, a lot of sophomore chuckles out of Clara being an AF. Ha ha. Yeah, I know. That's the kind of sophomoric stuff that you that can love. guarantee is going to be in Dr. Falk's class. So get me fired. You could get me fired. Very easy. Just a little letter. All it takes is a letter. I'm not going to solicit you to. I'm not going to solicit our listeners to do that. But maybe they would be doing me a favor. Anyway, back to the plot summary. Created as an artificial friend, AF, that's the designation for humans, Clara is selected to befriend Josie, who is undergoing, and this is the first of the many terms, very interesting terms that Ishiguro invents to sort of describe this new world, this, this world that's like our own, but not like quite like our own, uh, that he describes in the novel, uh, to befriend Josie, who is undergoing lifting, quote unquote, which is a, a, a I don't know, what a euphemism for genetic engineering process for children who are going to be lifted and lifted basically outside of their class above another class of people. And the final bit is the summary. Soon after coming to Josie's, oh, I lost my page, soon after coming to Josie's family, Clara is told that she will eventually be substituting another euphemism word for Josie, 
who appears to be nearing her life's end. She ha Josie has, uh, and this is the abiding concern of Josie and certainly Josie's mother, that Josie seems to be, seems to have been um, uh, kind of in disrepair or ailing since she was genetically lifted, right? Seems like as a side effect of that surgery, she's never quite recovered from it. And that's one of the reasons why she needs a companion uh and to 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 lift her spirits because uh Josie senses and certainly Josie's mother senses that she's you know about to die you know, you know on death's doorstep or precariously close to dying as her sister dies as we before the, the events in the novel tra uh, transpire however and this is sort of a key to the novel Clara spares no efforts to save Josie she's programmed to she's programmed mm -hmm. to be in AF, artificial friends. So, of course, she spares no efforts, in fact, sacrificing herself in this interesting, very Baroque, kind of creepy, freaky, theological subtext where, uh, and, and I'll unpack this and I'll shut up with the plot summary, just to, um, this other motif, because it's a major motif in the novel. So Clara um, is not programmed with much of a knowledge of, you know, the prehistory of the human race, obviously, or the pre where AFs come from, but she knows that she's solar powered. And she know, and what's interesting, so many interesting things in this book. I'm so excited to talk about it and so excited to hear Michael's thoughts. But one of the interesting things for me in the book is that um, I don't know what, what this means, but um, Ishikuro seems to imp implies, I think, I don't think he seems to imply, I think he directly implies that there is this kind of innate, even in programming, even in artificial intelligence, there's this, this kind of innate desire to respect your life source so that Clara assumed, uh, uh, we see in the beginning of the book when we're introduced to Clara, Clara uh, understands that she, you know, where she is, it, she's on display in the store. She realizes that if you're in the main part of the store with good lighting, where you can receive sun rays, you feel this kind of vibrancy and power. She realizes that her life energy depends on solar power. She sees uh, and basically constructs this episode where she feels the sun also had that this other enabling effect had a curative effect on a homeless person that she sees outside the window. And so she automatically makes this connection between the sun. She starts treating the sun as basically God in the sense that um, uh, the logical conclusion is that the source of your your life source is a godhead, a god term. And so part of, as soon as she's introduced to Josie and realized that Josie has a problem with her programming, right? Uh, with her infrastructure, uh, Clara intuitively makes this move that somehow the sun and solar power is going to be the key. In some way, if I can petition the sun, if I can enlist the sun's power, I will be able to fix Josie's problems 
in the same way that the sun gives me life and energy. I didn't mean to go so much into that. That's that's a sub theme in, in the book, but it's an interesting sub theme. And I guess I had to to justify my digression there. I had to talk about it to explain the title, but I, I've gone on too long, Michael. I wanted to pass it on to you. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I'm going to try and offer just a very core summary. Yeah, please do. Plot summary, just to put everything, everybody on the same page. So um, Clara is the AF who is narrating the story. And it starts, she's in a store patiently waiting to be adopted or brought home, right? Um, Josie shows up, says, I'm coming back to get you. Clara gets excited. Clara is an inferior model, though. There are the there is Very a model important. there yes. is a model that has been released after Clara's uh what construction um that is supposedly better than Clara. Um at any rate, Josie and her mother come and get Clara and take her home. And her task is to be a friend and companion to Josie, who is ill and dying because she is having a negative response to being lifted. Um, there is a, uh, boy that lives next door to Josie, who is a sort of childhood friend slash love interest, but, um, but there's a crucial gap between, but he has not been lifted. Um, and they have this, but yet they have, and they both know this obviously, because he hasn't had the surgery that she has, um, Smart kid, but doesn't have the credential of being lifted next to him. So he has a different struggle of trying to find his way into, um, you know, successful, productive society. Um, So uh, at a certain point, they feel like Josie may not make it. Josie's mom asks Josie point blank, right? Can you play Josie? And then it's revealed that part of the plan all along was to have clara become josie like they've made a new skin for her um and she will inhabit this version of josie and somehow then be a daughter af to the mom who has now lost two children that's yeah Um, i'm sorry josie gets sick clara prays to the sun makes a deal with the sun and then skipping very quickly through the tulips here josie is healed by the sun and Clara is discarded, but not disconnected or dismantled, just discarded. In a um, very creepy, I mean, we'll talk, yeah. I'm sure next week we'll talk we'll, about the We'll get to it. So it's, it's hard, I'll say in advance, it's very emotionally read. affecting. It's very emotionally affecting, but I'm not quite sure. This is something I'll have to be thinking about in the next week or two. I'm not quite sure what to make of the ending and how we are, the reader is supposed to, you know, is meant to respond to Clara's languishing. I think that's, so I had to read the ending. I read it and I was like, what just happened? And went back and read it again and said, okay, I understand what just happened, but I can't fully comprehend or digest. I have the same feeling too. But I feel like like that's a discussion that is going to depend. That's a discussion whose conclusion is going to depend upon I think how we read this. So I think that's probably best left for next time. Um, so I have a, a just a, a question. So first of all, fair summary. I think fair summary. There was something you said 
that I want. Oh, I was just going to add one little plot detail. Yeah. And I'll, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, so I don't go too long. But um, when you were you, you alluded to the major plot thread, we find out. I mean, I'm going to be lit crit guy just for a second. The novel is, um, I guess, his second, only his second speculative, uh, Ishiguro's only, maybe his second, only a second uh, exercise in uh, speculative fiction. Never Let Me Go Go might be the other one, right? Um, But uh, one of the pleasures, if you've read other Ishiguro's novels, one of the pleasures of Clara and the Sun is that he does his usual narrative shenanigans, machinations in this novel that he does in all his other novels. So here's what you tell me if you think this is a fair description. And and I think um, this is a literary digression, but I think it's a kind of important thing to understand if you do read the book, which we encourage you to do. Um, This is kind of Ishiguro's groove thing. Here's how he loves to tell stories like this. He'll give you a narrator. The narrator is at various points unconscious, clueless about their situation. In their estimation, the world in which they inhabit is this beautiful, amazing, almost perfect world. And the world in which these characters serve usually, and and I use that word advisedly, Usually, I mean, when you there isn't there's a big structural analogy between Clara and the Sun and Remains of the Day in this respect. The character who's narrating it is in service to other characters, and there is never a question in the narrator's mind that a the world in which the narrator inhabits is beautiful and beneficent. Mm-hmm. Moreover, the person that the main character lives to serve is a paragon, a god on earth. So now, so tip, this is, like I said, this is Ishiguro's groove thing. He loves to write stories like this. So you're reading the first, I'm sure this was your experience, Michael. How could it not have been? You read the first 20, 30 pages and you think, did I stumble into a young adult fiction? What's Mm -hmm. going on here? Mm -hmm. Is this a kid's book? Um, What kind of beautiful, idyllic world is this? This is a, is this a child story? Um, but what happens, and this is Ishiguro's mass, not just his groove thing, it's his mastery, is that gradually as you go along, you find out, you see people, if you read the clues, but you have to be an attentive reader, you get clues from the discourse of the others who surround the narrator. Uh, and you get clues, hey, maybe this world isn't so good and in fact in clara and the sun i think it goes like this first 30 pages you think oh this is an interesting world she's this character seems to have a very sunny for an af maybe because she's an af a very sunny disposition but this world is interesting and obviously there are some very happy contented people in this world and then it gets by 100 by 100 150 you realize oh there's a lot of darkness So let me ask you a question about this, because um, I want to get into some of the questions that are being posed. And as you were talking earlier, I've been uh, scribbling responses frantically. I'm I'm loaded for bear here, but I'm going to ask you, don't answer this immediately. But my question for you is really, 
what kind of book has Ishiguro okay, written? Yeah. And to the point you yeah. just made, yeah, okay. there are what six six sections to the book, right? Indeed. And for the first three, yes, I was right. reading along saying, okay, okay. Now I've read Never Let Me Go. And I had a very similar reaction to that as I did this. At a certain point here, the very beginning of book four, where you realize yeah. yes. what Ma- Chrissy, the uh, Josie's mom, yes, has yes. had planned. I stopped and was like, "Oh my god!" Th- and this is interesting because it's going to point to. I, I'm curious as to your response to this because I think it's going to speak to sort of Ishiguro's vision and purpose, and then like sort of the nature of our interactions with technologies. Um, I put it down I was like, "Oh my god." This is the creepiest of horror stories I have read in a very long time. Right, right. And right. what makes it even more so, like if you think about the characters of Never Let Me Go, that's terrifying. And that's a sure, horrible existence. Like when the veil is pierced and you realize right, that, oh right. my God, this is not this sunny, idyllic life. What's terrifying about this is that you have this Clara character who is built to serve, built to make things better, and is the central piece in this terrifying concept, who is telling you this story, right? She is the narrator who's taking through it and who is ultimately, literally soulless. (laughs) This completely, you feel for her. You empathize with her. She has done her job for Josie and she is doing her job for you, the reader. Absolutely. And you are being led by a soulless, heartless, non, non-entity, which, well, I don't know that, that that may be going a step too far, but non-human entity whose inhumanity becomes absolutely apparent at the moment where she is most emotionally necessary. And um, so I'm going to stop because if I start, it's going to take me a long time to get to a break point. But what, what, what kind, what, what is this book? Well, I I mean, I think you, you, uh, I think we already remember I said, I profit, I predicted that we're going to talk about the human, but then it's not going to be, it's not going to be probably the human that we end up talking about. It's not going to be our, our parents human or the traditional human it's going to be something that's really shaky or in question or um that that is difficult to comprehend or seems to be extremely problematic i think you just hit on right because what did you say uh clara is the most inhuman character i could easily uh, yes uh i could easily flip that though and i think any reader of this book could flip that and say uh, nonetheless, the inhuman character is by, and, and this also was the subtext of the other novel that Ishiguro, Ishiguro's other genetic engineering uh, novel. Never let me go. Uh, yeah, never let me go. This is also the theme that the uh, the clones are more human, quote unquote, than yeah. the humans. Yeah. Um, likewise here, but what we realize is that Clara's observation and mimesis and attempt to replicate humanity makes her the most human person in this uh in this landscape and one thing um now i'm sort of gesturing toward 
maybe I'm answering your, your partially answering your question about what kind of book is this and what kind of world uh, um, is, is, is Ishiguro portraying here? What exactly, what world is he trying to portray here? I think we're probably going to shift and try to give some answers to that question. But just on this particular topic, one of the one of the things I love about this book is that no one escapes. We find out, and I'm not going to linger on this, but we find out as we go through the book, we it takes us a while, I think a reader before a reader can do this, but a reader can sort of backward form or backwards understand the politics of certain characters. We start seeing that certain life choices and decisions <laughs> are the product of a particular, or they produce a particular kind of politics. Some characters by the end of the book we see are recognizably conservative and some characters we see are according to our mapping of politics recognizably liberal but one of the i think powerful things about this book is that the politics in a sense once we can identify the politics of the characters the political differences don't matter in comparison with this basic nexus of or the basic question of humanity versus inhumanity and the inhuman uh, character seems to have the best politics of all. And she has, of course, no politics. So you read this as, okay. Oh, well, you, well and maybe we, maybe this is something we can discuss. I sense you disagree with that reading. No, 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 not, not, not at all. But would you call this then, I mean, is this a political text? Oh, I think there's definitely a political text. I think this is definitely a political text. I think he is... Um, attack. I think he definitely has a political agenda in this, uh, a, and and uh, a political agenda. And let me flag this: we're we're going to capsize the episode if I go yeah, too yeah, much okay, into I'll, this. Yeah. So I'll I'll just put a pin and I'll say it and I'll put a pin in it because I know we'll end up talking about it if not in this episode, next episode. That's fair. But That's I fair. think there is a political point. You know, there is a his critique of technology and humanity or how the human technology interface or interconnection i think has an implicit politics and and, and by politics i don't mean that he's voting republican or no republican, no democrat but there is a political uh, and overt political point which is i think critique of meritocracies critique of elites now critique of elites as we know can be a right wing thing. It could be a left. Can I ask? Can I ask you a question about? I'm sorry does to it, step it, in here. Does that mean? But, do you understand what I mean by Barrett? Am I clear what I mean by? I do, but I have a question for you, and this yeah. could just be a plot point that I miss. But mm -hmm. there is certainly a distinction that the characters, the human characters, fear between indeed, being indeed. lifted and being indeed unlifted to the indeed. point where you have a couple who has lost a child to this process and is willing to double down and go again. That's a really important point. But here's the question is, and again, I'm, I'm just asking for clarification because perhaps I missed it is being lifted is the ability to be lifted hmm. mm -hmm. determined 
by your bank account and your ability to afford the surgery? Because it doesn't seem to me that it is like the character of Rick, who is not lifted, who is not lifted, right? The character. So, so just for quick orientation, for those of you who haven't read it, read it, excuse me. Chrissy is Josie's mother. Helen Mm -hmm. is Rick's mother. The men are not absent, but largely irrelevant to this. So you have two children who grew up next to each other. We know that Chrissy's mom has a professional position of some importance or significance. Indeed. And their house, their house. That's, but that's crucial. I would it say. is. It is. Answering your idea. And, and I'm partly answering your question. And I think. The fact I, that I, she is affluent is, it matters a lot. Right. Whereas Helen, Rick's mother, uh-huh. was a was an actress, was an artsy person, their house, though next door uh-huh. exists, is, is, is that, you know, they live in relative squalor compared to Josie and Chrissy. Indeed. So it seems. And Clara notices that. When yes. She, when she travels on the occasions, she travels. Notices, but doesn't pass houses. judgment on it. Doesn't pass judgment. Right. So that, her so human, the question, but but it seems yeah, it yeah. seems to me that Josie and Rick could be that they're really not that difference. I'm I'm of the opinion here that the hmm. ability to be lifted, like you don't have to take some sort of test to be cleared to be lifted. True. It's do you have the means to pay for the surgery to be lifted? Indeed. So that's it. There is no. It's not uh, a case of taking children with promise and elevating them. Oh, oh, yeah, no. It's a, can you afford to be lifted? That's, That's it. The thing. That's okay. the thing. And and in fact, yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, I would I sense we had a disagreement, but we don't have a disagreement. No, no. no I'm, it, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, here's how I understand it. I think we're on the same page. Yeah, we got the same thing from the book. Um, to be lifted. It, it, and this is, like I said, there is, a, I think, an implicit this, you know, this is relevant to what I was uh, what I was describing as Ishiguro's political position, which is a general critique and suspicion of elites yes. and the elite in this particular case. L- let's use those two families. There isn't that much of a class difference. No, they're friends. Between, they're right. They're friends. So you're right to think that there was one family that made a choice uh, and another family that didn't. And making the socially approved choice makes a big difference for Josie and Josie's mom. Uh, And so there's that. But um, as to this being a critique of elites, I would still say it is a critique of meritocracy and elites because all those families, there's one family that didn't choose to have, you know, a mother who chose not to have her child genetically engineered and lifted, and a mother who did, who doubles down in your important term. Mm-hmm. That's what we see in this novel. Uh, Josie's mother doubles down. But if they didn't have money, this not the events in this novel would not have taken place. Clara would not have been introduced unless. So that to me is the critique. This is what the privileged elites can do. 
the privileged elites, one and one of the jobs of privileged elites, Michael, let's not, I, I think Ishiguro would agree with this. One of the one of the jobs of privileged elites is that not everybody can be in the privileged elite club. Right. So one of the things you want to do to make sure that you're in the club is get some other MFers the F out of it, right? You got to get them out of there. That's how you know you're in the privileged elite. So I would think there is, this is a novel that shows us what elites do with technology. And insofar as it's an illustration of that, I think Ishiguro is a kind of continuing, if you're familiar with his other novels, he's kind of continuing a longstanding criticism of elites and aristocracies, mm -hmm. in this case, a would-be aristocracy enabled by science. So there's a kind of continuity with his work. But in this, just reading this novel on its own, I think there is a criticism of human presumption, the presumption and the privilege that it requires. Put it out, I can say it in a sentence, and I wish I had, so I didn't take up so much time. Uh, privilege, we use the word privilege now. Mm-hmm. That's simply, a, that's just another word for lift. For what? For lifted. Okay. His term for the families that are lifted. It's just, it's what we would call and what we do call with a criticism, uh, usually as a, as a invective, we say, well, you're acting out of privilege. Okay. Same, it's a way of maintaining privilege. And I think the critique of privilege, there's a critique of people who get lifted, who want to get lifted. Who, who, like Chrissy, double down on getting lifted? I'm going to push. I know you're going to push back, back you because think, you don't think he takes any. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I don't think the critique here uh -huh. is against the people who are lifted. I think this is an important distinction, actually. Uh -huh. I don't sense that there is any sort of critique against Clara. I think the critique is against the people who would choose this. Oh, or, oh yeah. I was did I put Claire? I I I was talking about the humans, not Claire. But it's no no I'm sorry. No, no, so I'm sorry, not sure. I don't think pardon me, I spoke poorly here, but it speaks to how effective Clara is as a character that we're that I'm, that I'm <laughs> um of course, I don't of think the critique is against Josie. And there's a scene where Josie says I wouldn't have wanted another mother and I wouldn't have wanted things differently. Like Josie is fully on board with this. Yeah, I think he is. I think and, he, and you think that's not criticism? Oh, no, I don't. I think the criticism here is against Chrissy. I look oh, at, okay. okay. I look at Josie and I say, this is, and it's interesting because in a way I think Josie now fills the space between someone like Rick. Uh, and I'm thinking about in terms of class here and someone like, uh, Chrissy, because I read Josie as being a very human character who wants really one thing and she wants connection. And I think when push comes to shove and she realizes that she's facing her own mortality because of this, you see that she is scared. I mean, she's, she does not, she says, she's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And Clara picks up on that. Yes, she knows. That's a relatory but then moment for Clara. her first pivot, there's never a sense of anger or frustration towards sure. her mother. Her mother is this distant. And I see it's funny because this gets us to the question of, well, where is this book set? And when is this book set? Because I read this as a very Japanese book where the phrasing about the clothing and the rank and everything, where Josie's mom 
was this grinding character in a Japanese work system, which dominates your life and severs this ability to emotionally connect. And so I read Josie as this heartbreaking child who was literally willing to accept her parents' moves, mm-hmm. not because she agrees with them, but because she so desperately wants human connection. Sure. That, you know, because you see a number of places where Clara is relegated to the corner. Clara is relegated to, Mm -hmm. because there is this need for a human connection. And Josie is willing to say, look, mom, I love you more than anything. And I think this was good. Not so much because she does, but because what a child wants is connection. What this innocence of childhood is willing to believe that whatever the generation above you has done must necessarily be for your own good. Beautifully put. And so I, I read, I mean, she is the most tragic of characters. I don't think that Ishiguro is looking at her. I think Mm -hmm. if you want to make this a political statement, Ishiguro is looking at the people who might believe the technology exists for their benefit and willingly and eagerly goes along. I totally, I'm, I totally concur. Um, I kind of put. broke my own put. heart there, by the way. I was about to say you you're you're there's not a dry eye, hot dry eye in the Zoom room at this point. No, this nor will room. there nor will there be later when my kids come <laughs> home and I take every single tablet and streaming device away from them because you know improv moment here yeah. that we'll do in public. Um I like the energy of what we talked about here. I'm going to propose that we stop while we are to my benighted. Uh, view ahead but i wanted to end with a little bit of a teaser and also a way of oh no you have something well, I'll, I'll pass it to you to I i'm going to do a final comment i'm going to do a final comment and then i want to hear your final comment suspend your final comment for just a moment i want to Is return it? to a question you asked at the very beginning that i have been dying to unpack okay so you had said that this book and this is what we've sort of been talking about here asks the questions is there such a thing as an un what was a oh my god my handwriting is horrible um is, is there, there such any a thing as... just basically as, as 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 a human as an un, un unfiltered un un i don't know integral i guess is the word human that's fine okay yeah. um okay. i got it i'm gonna i'm gonna spend the rest and of the day trying to what dis- is your and you're going to ask. So I, I want I wanted to just kind of go through some of the moves that Ishiguro makes in terms of answering this. If if we could spend just two minutes, please do looking at this. So I think in the naming conventions and the way things play out here, right? It's this idea uh-huh. of an artificial friend. Indeed. Implicit in that statement is this idea that it is not a genuine friend or not an authentic friend. So. We, again, we want to place humanity at the yes. center of things, yes. right? Say this is artificial. This isn't real. But yet we come to see that Clara still manages artificially to fill that role. And Indeed. Clara's role here is to represent or to somehow not be like Josie, but to Mm. be Josie. And so the quest 
uh, you know, as I mean, Clara is essentially processing and uh, you know ones and zeros. That's that's what she's doing, right? So we're trying to really quantify what it is, quantify and then recreate the essence of I mean, what it is to be human mm-hmm. and to connect. And um, I, I think that what he's what what this book is really trying to push. So I'm going to get us to the question of sort of what kind of novel it is here, right? Mm-hmm. Is where really are the boundaries between what it is to be human and what it is to be technological? And I don't think that that boundary exists anymore. You know, you look at the, what I find funny is I, I said, I, I read this as a horror story. Mm-hmm. And I also read it as sort of a, what, like a postmodern religious very much so. Story. I, I I did too. I did as well simultaneously. What, what so? What does it mean that the son, who is Clara's deity, who gives her life, is also the thing that ultimately saves the mostly human character who is fighting for her existence because of this technological invasion, right? I think that's a question that we we should address, and I think we will address it next time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna veer from answering that part of your question, but we had a mind meld moment. I think we are reaching closure because I'm gonna do two things. First thing, uh, you you asked the question. I'm gonna give a very brief answer. Try to give a very brief answer to your um, great question of what kind of novel this is, or what's one of the aims of this novel. What's Ishiguro's aim in presenting this world. I think you are using the terms uh, that I would use to sort of characterize and describe the novel. It's not. It's a speculative fiction. I'm going to try to recall the terms you just used because I think they were perfect. It's speculative fiction that is meant to investigate uh, the boundary points between the human and the non-human. Mm-hmm. It's meant to investigate that boundary point. And I think that one of the purposes of the book is to, you know, Ishiguro's purpose is to, at the same time that there is a, I'm not going to, I won't hold back or won't take back my my idea, uh, my argument that there's a political critique that's very much rooted in contemporary social reality. At the same time, the speculative aspect of this book is bigger than that critique of meritocracies and elites. Mm-hmm. It's it's this investigation, uh, and I I think you marvelously put the terms of the investigation that Ishiguro is conducting. It, he's speculating on what on he's planted a novel on that boundary uh, where he has to explore the the limits of the human or or the interface. If there is a border, he's trying to investigate, you know, trying to figure out, is there a border or um, can we even imagine a border between the human and the non-human? And here's why I was thinking, I think why I was saying earlier, I think we reached the end because we had another mind melt moment. You went, I wanted to read this passage, uh, which I think is a kind of key passage in the book on page 43. And it's one paragraph. But I think it's one of the key places where um, Ishiguro kind of flags where the narrative 
kind of flags that, hey, <laughs> um, Ishiguro's, the narrative kind of flags Ishiguro's intent to, hey, I want you to think about what distinguishes or whether we can distinguish the human from the AF, uh, the human from the non-human. So this is a passage, remind, and I think this is exactly, uh, this passage gestures to exactly what you were talking about, Michael. So I'll read it very briefly. Set the scene. This is the scene where the manager, and it's interesting, the manager is never given a name, right? It's just the manager. She's a God term too, right? Mm -hmm, for, mm -hmm. for, for, uh, for Kyra. So the manager is speaking, I think, to Josie's mom, or is it speaking directly to, yes, no, speaking uh, directly to, Josie's mom. I'll read a little bit of this dialogue, uh, but I think it's totally pertinent to what we've been talking about, especially Michael, which you were just, you know, the, the questions you just raised a moment ago. Okay, here we go. Mom, says Josie, Clara is the one I want. I don't want any other. One moment, Josie. Then she asks manager, Clara's name. Every artificial friend is unique, right? That's correct, ma'am, says manager, and particularly so at this level. Michael, what does that mean at this level? At this make? At this make? I think model. Level I think at the because, model, model. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what makes this one unique? Uh, Josie's mom, Chrissy, asks. So what makes this one unique? This. And I guess she's looking at her name tag. Clara? This paragraph is the key, right? Mm -hmm. um, let me read it. And I have one observation. And I, I'm dying to hear what you say. Clara has so many unique qualities. We could be here all morning, you know, talking about the unique qualities of this individual AF, right? There's the paradox. But if I had to emphasize just one, well, it would have to be her appetite for observing and learning. Bear with me here, Michael. I have a question for you. Her ability to absorb and blend everything she sees around her is quite amazing. As a result, she now has the most sophisticated understanding of AF in this store. B3s, the higher model that That's you were the newer model, earlier, right? not accepted. Is that so, says mother. Okay, here's what I said to my class about this passage. I'm curious whether you agree. So this, this is where one paradox here is that the manager is saying, okay, Clara, she's an AF, so she's a great model. But then she goes on to make these claims that this model is extraordinary for really, for being more human, <laughs> I think, for having the qualities of humanity that other models do not share. And then here's what I observed to my class and I freaked them out, or I freaked them out maybe just for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I said, Look at those, let's itemize those qualities. A talent for observing, a talent for learning, an ability to absorb and blend elements in a context, a sophisticated understanding of a context. Oh my goodness, who else has that skills? Kazuo Ishiguro as a novelist. That's what novelists do. That's what narrators do. Mm -hmm. Any narrator in any fiction. That's why I said, this is what, this is what qualifies or credentials Clara to tell a novel. Is that she, that's all you need to, for the programming that we call novels. I agree. 
Yeah. Do you have a, is so, there a question? I mean, that totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm passing it to you, but I just want to say, look at that passage. It blends and blurs the human and non-human. Well, right? I'll go a step further. Even I'm going to continue just three or four lines down Please. from where you finished. And I think this is an important addendum to your point. Um, not accepted. I think, is that so? The mother was once again, looking at me with narrowed eyes. This is Clara speaking. She then took three more steps towards me. You mind if I ask her a few questions? That's directed toward the manager. Please go ahead. Mom, please. Josie's trying to interrupt here. <laughs> Excuse me, Josie. Just stand over there a moment while I talk to Clara, which is exactly what Clara has to do in the house. Josie at this point has been relegated to the side, right? Indeed. That's an then, important moment. Yeah. Then it was the mother and me. And though I had tried to keep a smile on my face, it was not easy. And I might even have let the fear show. Not only is she intuitive and, and, and observant, She's she emotive. is emotional. She's and emotive. she worries that her emotional state will betray her physical state. So there is a humanity to the technology, which is unquestionably on par with, right. and then mother says, right? Um, Clara, the mother said, I want you to not look towards Josie. Now tell me without looking, what color are her eyes? They're gray, ma'am. Right. So she is, she's wildly observant. You get this later with the, the socializing thing that has to be done, which is right. something we will right. absolutely talk. About absolutely next talk about right. next time. about her ability to, as a machine to capture everything, right. but there's a humanity to her which in many ways surpasses the humanity of the human characters. So, yeah. I'm, I can't think of a better way to end. Let's, uh, let's. That's, I, I, there are many things left to explore, but we're going to have another episode. And we're going to bring in uh, more maybe conceptual theoretical discourses next time. Yeah. But that's it. But we'll still be talking about Clara and the Sun. Michael, what a pleasure. Take Very care. Have this a wonderful was, day. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for thanks for introducing literature back into the uh, <laughs> the, the reading list. Um, yeah, we'll pick this up next time. Barry, have a fantastic day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. dot